I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team, so much for leading us this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, we are in Acts chapter 2 and continuing to walk through this powerful book. It's our story. It's our history. It's our roots as a church. And uh, we'll be in verses 42 through 47 of Acts 2. Uh, and as we get started, just a quick poll. So if you're in the room or listening in online, uh, just a quick question. Who all loves going to the doctor? Like you just, you love it. That was my hunch. All right? We love doctors. We love doctors, but maybe not loving to go. And, uh, and so uh, I figure we go to the doctor for most of the time one of three reasons. Either uh, we're not feeling healthy. Or we want to keep feeling healthy, or somebody makes us go, right? And, and uh, over this past uh, fall and, and into this year, I think I'd shared it at some point just that uh, we were walking through uh, becoming foster parents, and part of that process is you go get a checkup. And so I went to get the checkup, and if you've been there to the doctor lately, you fill out like a nice book before you ever make it past the door. You know, you're checking boxes, you're writing things in blanks and turning that in. And then they get you past the door and where they do your, your height, your weight, your blood pressure. And they ask you more questions and then they move you to another uh, room. And in my case, I got one more round of questions in there from somebody who dropped by asking a lot of questions. And then the doctor comes and they ask you to get on that slippery paper and they're, they're hitting you your knee with that little hammer and they're taking the stethoscope, it's very hard to say, stethoscope that I am, thank you, I am convinced they keep that in a freezer and then like they bring it out right before they come to check your heart and your back and all of these things and, and, and because here's the thing, health is not just this outward thing. Or even something that you just check a couple things. It's not like, oh, your blood pressure's good, your temp's good, everything seems okay. And then it's like, you know, you're healthy. The, the same is true with a church. There are two kinds of churches. There are healthy churches, or at least churches that are committed to health. And there are unhealthy churches. And a lot of times folks will just kind of look outwardly and be like, okay, their budget's good, their buildings are good, and they have... Bottoms in the seat. Somebody said like the three B's of a church and like, like that that is somehow this like, okay, like you're healthy. But no, no, we know that's not true. Because you can have all the outward signs in the world that everything is great. But until you take a closer look and you really learn what's going on, that you really discover what health looks like. And, and so just as we would go to a doctor for, for health, I love that the book of Acts is written by a doctor. It's written by Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke is going to share with us and for us, what does a healthy church look like? We're going to see God's design for His church. And, and I, know, I would know that our heart together is like, God, we want to be a church that honors You for Your glory, for Your mission. That's why we're here but, but that doesn't just magically happen. There are some, some vital signs that we must be committed to and focused on to experience health as a church. And so Acts 2 is where we're going to be. And just a heads up as to what has happened up to Acts chapter 2 verse 42. 
If you open Acts 1, you'll find the resurrected Christ is spending 40 days investing teaching into his disciples. The Bible teaches us that he is teaching them about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. And so he has spent this 40 days investing in his disciples. And as he is ascending, before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he tells his disciples, he's like, listen, he's like, I want you to go to Jerusalem and not many days from now, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be identified in me and with me. And not only that, but you're going to be my witnesses. That when my Spirit comes upon you, that the Spirit will give you power to be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, you open up and the Bible is the day of Pentecost. And that is exactly what happens. God is faithful to His Word again and again and again. He pours out His Spirit on His people. Peter boldly, courageously preaches Christ. Right? He preaches Christ. He, he preaches a Spirit-filled, Spirit-anointed, Christ-centered sermon. Death, burial, and the resurrection the hope that is found in Christ. He gives an invitation. And the Bible tells us that 3,000 people on that day repented of their sin, placed their faith and trust in Christ, and were baptized. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Incredible, this work of God. And so in Acts 2.42, the first two words that we'll read, it says, and they. And so when we read and they and we're jumping in, it's important that sometimes our minds go kind of straight to maybe the apostles, the 12, or maybe to the 120 that, that the Bible teaches us were gathered in that upper room when God poured out His Spirit. But we're actually talking about 3,120. We are talking about in a day a mega church happened. The first church was a mega church. <laughs> like it, it happened. And God brought. And saved and rescued this church. And what we're going to see is what does a healthy church look like? Because Dr. Luke, through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lays out to us what that looks like. So Acts 2.42 says, And they were devoted. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted. I love that word. All kinds of things pop up in our mind when we hear devoted. Like maybe you think about uh, a, a spouse, how they're devoted to their spouse or, or a son or daughter, how they're devoted to their mother or, a, or an athlete that's devoted to their team or, 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 or an employee that's dedicated to their employer. We have all these things and, and what it is, is we get it. We understand it means they're all in. It means that there's no like kind of straddling the fence like, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. It is no like they're all in. What we're seeing is a people that have been rescued that are all in. They're a hundred percent. They are devoted. They are committed to Christ. And it says they devoted. So they are all in on these things. Here's what it looked like. Acts 2.42, that they were devoted to scripture. They were devoted to the apostles teaching. That, that, that the apostles' teaching at that time would have included the Old Testament that, that had been uh, 
completed and, and canonized would be the word we would use. These, these reliable, truthful, God-honoring, God-authored Old Testament writings that we have. They would have, the apostles' teachings would have included all of Christ's teachings to them in their earthly ministry. Uh, those three years that they spent with Christ. And then the 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ pouring in, teaching them about the kingdom. And this is why it says the apostles' teaching. Because as we looked a few, might have been a week or so ago, that you couldn't just be an apostle. Like, it didn't just like, hey, I want to be one. No, you had to have been there from the baptism of Jesus. And he had to be there through his ministry and see the resurrection and be with him. And so the apostles' teaching, they were clinging to the word of God. They knew this to be the word of God. A church's diet. A church's diet is made up of consuming the Word. Consuming the Word. Obeying the Word. Being tethered to the Word. That one of our gospel values as a church, and we talked about it uh, in January, was that we're a disciple-making church. And that the, the, the kind of the centerpiece of that discipleship is the Word. It's the Word. Jesus gave His disciples a great commission. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So all of that is tied into Scripture. That's why in a lot of churches where you walk in, uh, wherever the Word is going to be preached, it's, it's in the center, not for the preacher, but for the Word. We gather around the Word. This is why... Uh, for many of you, we were, had Sunday school last hour, Sunday groups. And so you gathered sharing life around the Word. This is why D groups are so important, those disciple-making relationships. And the curriculum is the Word. The Word is so essential because the will of God is found in the Word of God. And, and for them, though, Paul at this point in history had not been radically saved and written three-quarters of the New Testament yet. But it's true what Paul said. And to, second Tim, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says, all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's this idea that the Word that we have is the breath of God, the pages, His gift to us, His church. This breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. For every good work. The Word is alive. The Word is sharp. It's the only book that you read when you open it up. The author is present every single time. And it wasn't just that they devoted and committed. They treasured this Word. Uh, last night we had a team uh, from our church that served at the Memphis Union Mission downtown. And, and uh, Tina Tandy was there. And I was sharing with her. And we were talking about Honduras. How we're excited to, to be going to Honduras this summer and continue that partnership that's down there. And she was sharing what an impact that's made in her life. And she was sharing how she still knows the names of some of those uh, ladies that she ministered to down there. And she was telling the story about how they were ministering and they were going kind of home to home. And they gifted one of these ladies with a Bible. And they said, they, and what they do, they would visit homes during the day and then they would have gatherings at night. And she said this lady had come back and she literally had the Bible that she was given and she had it wrapped in, in some kind of covering. And the idea was she didn't want anything to happen with it because this was God's word. And she treasured it because 
She understood. God, help us to understand. We're so blessed, fortunate to have maybe multiple copies. We have every version in the world on a click of an app on our phones. Like the treasure we have in the Word. But, but we got to understand that if, if, if we're going to be healthy as a church, we must be devoted to the Word. Tethered to the Word. And so they were. They were devoted to the Word. They were devoted to Scripture. And we also see they were devoted to fellowship. The Bible says, Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. I grew up in Mississippi, grew up very thankful, going to church, and, and every church that I went to growing up had a building called the Fellowship Hall. I mean, they, they were there. And, and, and so, so it just became synonymous with that's where you go eat, right? So, so if there's ever you're hungry or you want some food, just go to the fellowship hall. And, so, um, and, and if it wasn't Sunday morning worship or it wasn't maybe a Wednesday night church or Sunday night church, everything else had the word fellowship beside it. I mean, it was like ice cream fellowship, taco fellowship. Axe throwing fellowship. Like, hey, you could do anything under the sun and throw the word fellowship on there. And it's, and it's you know, you got church, right? And, and it, was, it was, it was in my brain. This is me growing up. I think two things. I think food and I think hanging out. But fellowship is way more. It's way more. When they're talking about devoted to fellowship, what they're talking about is they are devoted to sharing the life of Christ with others. That there is not just their witness, I've heard it's been said, it was their withness, their togetherness. They were connected for each other. That they were living socially around the Savior, not just socially. It was, it was centered on Christ. The Greek word for fellowship there, koinonia. Koinonia, is, it's mentioned 20 times in the New Testament, but it's, it's referred to a couple different ways through through Scripture, it's referred to as communion. So this sense of oneness. So as, as they were devoted to the fellowship, they were devoted to communion with one another. They were, uh, another word uh, would be contribution. So it's this idea that it's not just kind of, uh, whether sitting back or taking in or soaking, it was this idea that, that there is a, there's a contributing of oneself to what's happening in the work of God. It, in, it would mean sharing, it would mean partnership, it means fellowship. If we were just to look ahead to verse 44, it's a summary statement of what the church is. And it says this in Acts 2.44. It says, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. Not a spectator sport, but rather they were fiercely relational. Like fiercely relational. All through scripture you see... Uh, right at 61 another statements. 61 another statements. You cannot one another yourself. You one another with one another. It's all through scripture. Mark 9.50. Be at peace with one another. Galatians 5.13. But through love serve one another. Galatians 6. 1 and 2. Be, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12, 9 through 10. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Over and over and over. One another, one another, one another. 
And I think this is something for us really to, to soak in because, um, because the opposite of one anothering and withness is isolation. And, and, and it, it's, it's true, we're, we're wired all differently in different personalities and some people are more people people and some people are, like, are totally good with sitting completely by themselves and everything's okay. But yet, we must guard our hearts against isolation. Because, because it is an isolation that it can be uh, volatile territory. And that the enemy attacks. And it's in these ways where it's like, I, what will people say? What will people say if I share with one another? What will people think if they really know what's going on? If I share with one another. Like, look at everybody else and how everybody else has it all together. And look at me. And I couldn't. And so what happens is you begin to isolate. And even, even socially. Um, you know, social media, there's all kinds of different uh, opportunities. And, and, and I think it could be a great tool. It can also, you need to guard your heart. Because what it can happen a lot is you, you talk a lot at others or at people or at, but it's not with. And, and yet God is, has called us to be with. That this is what the church was committed to, this withness. So that we would be tempted to isolate, but... But by God's grace, He calls us to lean in. He calls us to live life connected. And this is what they were devoted to. This is a mark of a healthy church. And so they were devoted to Scripture. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to Christ-centered worship. You see it again in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Breaking bread would, uh, would be synonymous with the Lord's Supper, what we'll be sharing in just a few moments. That what they would have there in the first century church is they would have what they call love feast or agape feast. And they would gather. And no doubt, like, there's a lot of eating going on, like it says God's people. Uh, you see that. Um, but, but, but they would have these agape feasts and they would share this meal. And then as they're wrapping up the meal, they would, they would take communion. They would take the Lord's Supper together. And the purpose of this was one that Christ commanded them to do this. Paul references this in 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 26. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as you and for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so they were devoted to this because because if you're like me, you need reminders. You need help. You need to have that recall. You need to remember what's most important. And so what this does is this is an ordinance by Christ commanded to his church. Two ordinances, baptism, Lord's Supper. And you see this because what, what, the, what the Lord's Supper does, having communion together, was it brings us in unity around the focus of the finished work of Christ on the cross for us. That this serves as a reminder for us. That it calls us to remember how Christ's body was crushed 
and His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. That this is what reminds us and he will, we will continue to partake of this until He returns. It, it focuses us. It causes us to fixate on Christ. And so this is what everything about this morning is. It's why we share life. It's to celebrate the shared life of Christ with others. It's why we sing song. We sing song because there is one king. His name is Jesus. He is our only hope. And so we worship him. We gather around the word because it is in the word of God that we we discover and live out the hope that he gives us as followers of Christ. We give because Christ so gave to us like everything is to be centered on Christ. And so you do this Christ-centered worship through the breaking of bread and also prayer. The breaking of bread of prayer. So, so keep in mind they didn't have the New Testament yet, but the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit would bring to mind that what Christ had taught them. And so no doubt John 14, 13 through 14, Jesus says this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And can't you just see that early church gathered? Understanding that their only source of hope. And that their source of provision was wrapped up in the the character of who God is. And His love and His grace and His compassion and His mercy That he pours out. That they prayed. Prayer is communion with God. It's communication with God. They were devoted to prayer. In Luke 18. I love the parable about the persistent widow. And it tells the story how she just kept going back to the judge. Kept going back to the judge. Kept going back to the judge. And finally the judge says. So you will leave me alone. I will give you what you're asking. And here's what he says. He says. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I love that. Because typically we find ourselves praying over those things that are heaviest on our hearts. It could be somebody who's very close to us. It could be our children. It could be our spouse. It could be our co-worker. It could be a friend. It could be anybody. But typically we find ourselves praying in those areas of need. And so the encouragement here is don't give up. Don't lose heart. Ephesians 6.11, Paul says this. He's talking about the armor of God. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Paul says to the Romans 12.12, in marks of a true believer, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. A healthy church is a praying church. It's one of those gospel values that we want to cling to. We want to be a praying church church a praying people that we would be lifting up our voices in community to prayer and that's what they were doing they were praying and you think about it like they didn't have brick and mortar they didn't have a big you know facility to go to and and they didn't have any of these things but what did they have they had a relationship with king jesus they had the power of the holy spirit they had the power of his word and they had witness and that is The heavenly resources that God has given us to accomplish all that He has called us to do. And so He is equipping them with everything that they need. And I love by Acts 17, the Bible says that they turn the world upside down. Like, wouldn't it be cool if, if, I mean, it's like, man, those 
this believe like this whole world's being turned upside down for the glory of God because there was just this this sense of living for the glory of God and the mission of God. I want to read 42 through 47 one more time. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. Incredible. So many different backgrounds, so many unique circumstances, so like all over the place. Different emotionally, spiritually, personality, but yet the Bible says that they were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Doesn't that just kind of like rush against our Western mindset at times? I mean, that their whole plan for care for one another was the church. And that if there was a need... That that need was met by the church. And that this is how they lived their whole lives. Hey, everything I have is yours. And, and it's up to you, everything you have is mine, right? We say this is the picture though. It's this, it's this mark of like sacrifice and generosity. That was the mark of the church. And they are devoted themselves to scripture and to fellowship. And devoted to Christ-centered worship and gathering. In verse 46, the Bible says in Acts 2, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The blueprint for a healthy church, a vital sign, is gathering. It's gathering. Hebrews 10. It's not this, it's not this uh, suggestion. It is an expectation of the believer's life. That it's not just this like, let me check the schedule. Let me see what's going on. They were devoted to this gathering. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't we all need encouragement? Everybody needs encouragement. That is, that is one of the reasons we gather together is that all as we see the day drawing near, Christ's return is that there is this encouraging and speaking life into one another. We have just gone and we're still in it and we're, we're moving forward. But, but it was just like walking through this whole COVID thing. Right? I don't know a single church or pastor personally that, that somewhere along the way didn't, didn't have to halt gathering together. And it was, I'm so thankful for technology. I'm so thankful that we can stream. I'm so thankful that we can gather. But yet in that, like, I, I remember like on one Sunday, like many of you, we, we turned on the TV and synced up the internet to stream a service. And, and I noticed my, one of my girls was curled up in a ball on the couch and she was just bawling. And it's like, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she was grieving because she couldn't be with her people. Like she, This young heart was like, now she's a people person. I mentioned there are all kinds of personalities. She's the people person. So, so it definitely hit her a little different. But it was this idea that like, wow, God's made us to gather together. Made us to gather together. This is what he calls us to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He, he wrote some great works. He was a Lutheran pastor. 
And he was martyred in a German concentration camp. And he wrote several books, Cost of Discipleship, Life Together, wrote some powerful works, but I love this quote from Bonhoeffer. He says this, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And so they gathered. This is what they were committed to. They gathered, and the Bible tells us that they, uh, that they would gather in large group, and they would gather in small group. You see it in verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That they would gather in the temple, and oftentimes the apostle would be there to teach God's word to them. And then they would gather in smaller groups, and no doubt they would share life around applying God's truth to their lives. That's in a lot of reason why we do this large gathering, and then why we have group life. is because both are essential, both are important. And so we gather together in large group, corporate worship together. I love this time. I love it. All generations. I love it. And then, and then we sit under God's word, God's teaching. We worship. And then what do we do? We gather together in smaller groups and we digest the word and we share life with one another and we pray through it. And the Bible said they did so with glad and generous hearts. And so they're devoted to scripture. They're devoted to fellowship, witness. They are devoted to Christ-centered worship. They are devoted to gathering. And then one more uh, kind of mark of, of vitality we see is that they were devoted to outreach. They were devoted to the mission. The Bible says, and all who believed, verse 44, and all who believed were gathered and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 1 John 3.18 was my memory verse this week for my D group. And it says this, he says, Let us not love in in word or talk, but indeed in truth. And so it's this idea that, that, that it's more than just kind of talking about. It is giving yourself to. And you see the early church, and they were involved in both deed and gospel sharing ministry. They go hand in hand. The sharing the gospel, the Bible says that the Lord added the Lord added, I'm reminded of Romans 10, 13, one of my favorite verses. The Bible says this, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a great verse? Everybody. So there's nobody that's left out. There's no group that's out of the reach of God's grace. This, this gospel is for everybody. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The question is, and we see in Acts 2, the Lord added. So salvation is the work of God. Okay, We don't save people. God saves people. But the challenge comes, okay, well, if the Lord saves and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, then what does that look like? People were being added day by day to the church. Well, Romans 10, Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But how then will they call on Him in who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so, inherent in this text, with the Lord adding daily, is the faithful witness in the witness to share the gospel and God worked and God moved and the Lord added daily. So there is this, this encouragement of this life on mission that this is what he has rescued us for. It's what he told them on the Galilean mountainside. It's what he told them right before he ascended. You're going to be my witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And then the book of Acts to today, you see the church age. You see the church of God moving and going and serving and sharing and making the gospel known. And so I, 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 I read this and, and I'm, I, get, I almost take a big, deep breath. Because I read Acts 2, even these few verses, I take a deep breath and I'm just like, so simple. Like, it's just so simple. What they gave themselves to is just so simple. And yet these are the essentials of health to a church. I love that I live in the 21st century. Like, I mean, I was like, oh, I want to be the first century church. And, and, and I like running water. I like AC. I like the heat. All right. Those, those are all like we're, we're blessed in this, this era that we are living. But, but all kinds of stuff changes over time. But let's not, let's be encouraged this morning. But nothing has changed on what God has asked of his church. And what it takes to be a healthy church. He's given us every single resource. Relationship with Him. The power of His indwelling Holy Spirit. His God-breathed, God-authored, inspired Word. He's given us each other. And He's given us a mission that we, we are not in any way expected to carry out in our own strength. And so, by God's grace, may we cling... To this, to this blueprint for health. The fundamentals of the church. We'll do lots of things, many things. But let's stay close to the scripture. Let's stay close to one another. Let's stay close to Christ-centered worship. And then it never becomes anything else. Let's be committed to gathering together. And let's be committed to taking the mission outside of the walls. To people who desperately need it. So there are all kinds of ways that this message can land on a heart. And the first would be is that I never want to take for granted that maybe in this room or even listening online is that, is that what's most important is the gospel. It's the good news. It's what Peter preached about and 3,000 people got saved. It's the fact that for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much He loves you. This world is broken. I know it. But he is, he is the one that is going to bring healing. And bring all things. Make all things new in time. In his time. In his perfect time. But in that time we have a mission. He's entrusted us this mission. And so that, that, that we understand God's love toward us. And that he did what nobody could ever do. That the God man. God the son. Lived a life of perfection. And not only that, but 
He lived a life we could never live, but He died a death that we should have died. I understand. This is a humbling thing to say. I deserve what happened to Jesus. I deserve that. I deserve that. But He loved us so much, He took it for us. And so His body was crushed and His blood was poured out so that we could have forgiveness and so we could have peace with God. And He was placed in a tomb and He rose from the dead the third day. And that He gives both victory over death, hell, and the grave. And He extends this, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it could be that you could give every right answer in the world to any Bible question. But the question is, what's happened here? Your heart. And it could be today, you need to respond in repentance and faith and place your faith and trust in Christ. And it could be that maybe as we look at this text and we see how relational this body is, that perhaps being a part of a faith family, it's looked different maybe. And, and I, I, I totally get the COVID stuff, so I, I totally understand. But yet, but yet, like, there's just kind of almost like this, this kind of like keeping... Others at a distance, because what would they say? What would they think? I don't know. Like, there's all these things. And my encouragement would be, is that if you're not connected to a group of believers, sharing life, this is essential. It's essential. They devoted themselves. And so maybe you're here today, you're like, okay, I've been thinking about Sunday school. I'm not sure, but I'll I'll pray or de-groups like, We would love to know that because we'd love to walk alongside you because we all need that withness. We all need it. And then it may be that you see, we're reminded of the simplicity of, of, of this blueprint for health. And it could be that we have put so much on our plates, so much, that it has somehow kind of crowded out what is most important. And so for us, it's just as believers, we ask the Holy Spirit to show us, reveal to us, is there anything on the plate that needs to be taken off the plate so that by your grace, I can truly focus on what you've called me to do. The Holy Spirit works in all different ways. But may it also be a time of just rejoicing of the fact that God has gifted us the church And not just the church in our own power, but in His power. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. Uh, Communion, as we read, has been celebrated by the church since its earliest days. That the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ Himself on the night of His betrayal in an upper room. He had His closest friends, the disciples, gathered with Him. And He shares this meal, and they were there over Passover. Right, Passover, the celebrating Jews would celebrate the great miracle of God and how, uh, how God rescued His people from Egyptian bondage and how they took the blood of the lamb that was slain and they put it on the doorposts of their home and how God's judgment passed over those that were under the blood. And so here they are in Jerusalem, centuries later, and they're celebrating Passover. And Christ says, I'm going to give some new meaning to this whole Passover meal. Because Christ is the true Passover lamb. God's timing's divine. It's perfect. He's orchestrated all the events up to that moment in that He is the true lamb without spot or blemish. And that His blood will be shed. 
And for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in Christ, you are under the blood. You are covered under the blood. And so God's wrath on sin is passed over. And we experience grace and His forgiveness and His care and His love. And so what He says is, He's like, now, these elements that we're going to take together, it represents my body that's for you. This represents my blood that will be poured out for you. This is a new covenant. It's not the old, it's the new. It's not the blood of the lamb without spot or blemish from taken from the stables to take part in this ceremony. No, he's like, this is representing my blood for you. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to have a time of heart preparation. Heart preparation. Because uh, taking the Lord's Supper is not to be something that's just taken haphazardly or casually, but rather intentionally and prayerfully and from a prepared heart. And so, and so in this time, we want to have just a time of heart preparation. And so we're just going to have some instrumental music playing just for a few moments. And as we do, I would just encourage us to prepare our heart. For centuries, the church has celebrated this. We will continue to celebrate it until He returns again. But why do we do this? It's Christ-centered worship. It's to fixate our eyes and the eyes of our hearts and our minds on Christ. And so in this time, uh, we'll have pastors here. If you would want somebody to pray with you, we would love that privilege. If you want to make your chair right there where you're sitting an altar and just kind of quiet your heart before the Lord and and, and prepare your heart. If you want to come to the altar, like feel freedom to prepare your heart. Because here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.26. He says, Christ said, as, as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on themselves. And so this is not something we just say, oh, let's tack it on. Or, yeah, it's that it's the day like let's, it's in the rotation. This is a time where with intentionality and preparation, we come to remember what Christ has done for us. So we're going to take a few moments if you want somebody to pray with you, we'd love to pray. If you want to come to the altar, come to the altar. If you want to pray at your seat, pray at your seat. But let's just give this time to the Lord in preparation to celebrate the Lord's Supper.